Welcome back to OnChain Experiments, where we take a look at the creators, builders, and collectors exploring the frontier of Web3. Today's guest is Carter Tiernan. Carter is a software engineer with a background in artificial intelligence and data analytics. Today, we take a look at AI and data analytics, leading us into a conversation about data sets. How is public data and private data different? And then getting into the different monetization models around both. I hope you enjoy. We chatted with Pablo the other day, um, but back in 2017, we first met at Uptake. And I know you've got a super strong engineering background, but I just want to kind of set the stage. If you can tell the story of kind of your engineering journey, like how did you get started? What have been kind of some of your big proud projects and what's bringing you to the projects you're working on today? Yeah, I think that um, I've had somewhat of a maybe roundabout journey in engineering might be a good way to put it. Um, I began coding when I was 15 and I was doing MATLAB work for a, um, a lab in outskirts of Boston. And that kind of is what got me hooked. Um, I hadn't really had any experience with it prior and it really kind of like meshed well with my mind. I think the kind of logical thinking and also being able to be creative with the tools in your hands um, really spoke to me. So with that, I kind of just followed that passion, went to undergrad, got an undergraduate degree in computer science, specializing in artificial intelligence. And then I kind of decided that I liked the coding part, but the bridge between real life problems and a true technical solution is a bridge that I saw some, some, I think it's, I think it's a, a skill that might not be as common as someone that is solely good at business problems and someone that is solely good at technical problems. So with that in mind, I went to grad school and got a dual degree in business and, again, computer science. Um, that was about when we met in 2017. And right after that, I started as a um, sales engineer. So very different, very, very uh, kind of uncomfortable for me um, going into the sales organization. Um, would say that it was a, a great experience, though, being able to learn how to speak and talk to, like, your clients, right, the front of the house. Um, but as I said, it wasn't my favorite. So I, I transitioned back into the technical realm, working at a robotics laboratory for Carnegie Mellon for a couple of years. And now I'm working as a data scientist for a pretty large multinational company, um, doing a bunch of just internal consulting work for the different uh, subsidiaries there. So I'd say that's kind of my, my overview, my background. Um, to give a quick rundown of projects, I think the coolest one I'm working on right now is uh, predictive analytics for refrigerators, which is always funny. I never thought that refrigerators would be something that are so interesting to me, but it's, it's a very complicated dynamic system with multiple different like operating modes and actually getting the data and a model to be able to figure out when these things is failing has been a extremely difficult and challenging problem that has kept me 
<laughs> interested for almost a year now. Well, when we think of uh, what pieces of technology consume power constantly, your refrigerator is always running. So to add intelligence into that, I, I would assume is a big problem, not just for saving households money and giving them more insight, but also probably a good engineering problem to solve some of these energy crises. Is, is, is that right? Or is that thinking down the wrong? It's thinking down a path that I've thought about, but it's, so the, the thing about doing these AI solutions is that you need a ridiculous amount of data and you also need to have enough capital invested into these assets for it to be worth spending a bunch of money developing the model. So as far as I can tell, most of these analytic like AI driven solutions are all for industrial assets. So like mining, um, in this case, this is for like grocery stores. So the, the refrigerators that hold your produce or your ice cream or dairy products. And one thing that's interesting about that is the energy is a, is a consideration, but a lot of times it's handled by two different people. So one person cares about the energy, whereas the other person cares about the maintenance schedules. So you're solving two problems or two different problems if you can get a model to do both. But I think in, in many cases, you're going to need uh, two different models or two different classifications of poor energy usage versus poor actual performance. I have been super curious about data. Um, this this is getting me excited, but the, f the first question I want to ask, the data sets that you guys are leveraging in the AI that you're building, are these public data sets or private data sets, or are they a mix of? I would say largely private. So that's that's kind of where companies, I think we talked about this with Pablo as well, is that companies realize that their data is kind of like a value driver nowadays. The more data you have, the more potential value you can derive from that. And it's also a giant moat or like a competitive moat between you and startups because you have more data, you can have better models. Um, to that point, there are a lot of open source or free public data sets um, one thing that is used commonly is weather data. So we actually do integrate weather data into, into the current model. Yeah. Like, uh, coming, but before joining Mint Songs, I was running a voice technology company and just kind of thinking of voice technology, Amazon Alexa, Google assistant, these are super powerful AI, but all of the data is hidden in Google and Amazon and that creates a lot of uh, trust issues between the people building the AI and the people that are giving the data because everyone wonders, are they listening to me? Like, are they listening to my personal combo? Is there some Google engineer sitting over there and monitoring? And I, I really wonder in the long term, um, will the most powerful data sets be private data sets or public data sets? Or am I trying to make uh, a binary problem out of something that is much more not black and white, but, but gray. I, I don't know. Do you have anything to say on, on that? Like that, that thought of public versus private data sets kind of thinking in the future? I think the one, and this is, this might be kind of a sidestep of, of, of an answer, but one thing that I think is kind of like to the contrary of that is if you look at 
um, computer vision. Like there are the Uber ATGs and the Argo AIs that have massive in-house private data sets, but there's a lot of researchers that actually make their data available in computer vision. So you have like Coco or Image um, Net, just a bunch of free open source data sets that actually have pushed kind of innovation a lot faster than I think it would be if everything was confidential. So although I, I think it is a sidestepping of the answer, I think that the more public data sets you can have, the better. I just think the, the monetation aspect of companies, how they make their profits would need to change in order for them to be willing to expose their data publicly. Agreed, 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 100% agree, I, yes. Open data sets push innovation faster. However, a lot of companies right now have built their business models around selling their data. And so if they make that data open source and publicly available, they're going to have to drastically rethink their business models. And this, this is all coming into where I feel Web3 is, which is just this big mental mindfuck of how the flip do we make this profitable when all of the data is totally open and available on chain. Um, how do we create a valuable business? And, and like, I think we see open data accelerating this space. Like just here at Mensongs, we, we, we had conversations like a couple weeks ago about, hey, we should do on-chain split royalties so that musicians can split their royalties with their producer and their sound engineer. And these, all the parties should get a payout on-chain. Um, and no more than two weeks later, there's open source uh, libraries from this company called Zero X Splits, where all of like now we can just import the Zero X Splits library and we don't have to spend any engineering iterations trying to build our own solution. There's already a, a, a royalty splitting library that any company can import. And just seeing the, the growth in this space has been uh, crazy to me being on the inside of it. But I've been really excited for this conversation with you because you, um, you're more on the outside, like you're more in the, the traditional engineering sphere and you're just, as of a couple weeks ago, like we had a conversation and you were asking some really cool questions. And so the next question I have for you is like, b before you and I spoke a couple weeks ago, kind of where was your head at in terms of like, what is Web3? What are NFTs? Like, what, what did you think of this of this space of blockchain and Web3 before we started talking a couple weeks ago? I think it's a, it's a complicated answer because I've always for a while thought that blockchain would be like the underlying technology of blockchain, specifically ones that implement smart contracts are inherently valuable. Um, but without knowing a lot about it, I was dubious to, of the current implementations of solutions on them. Um, I think a lot of that comes from the kind of like basic NFT hype that we're seeing nowadays where you just mint something and sell it. It doesn't feel like a, a true product offering in my, in my mind, something you can build a business around that's innovating or creating. I think it's cool. And I think people can assign value to that but I, I wasn't buying into it. Um, our conversation, you kind of brought to light a lot more of the, the depth of Web3 that I didn't know about, like um, distributed file stores, 
I thought that was very interesting where you can actually fully have something decentralized, not finally linking back to somewhere like S3 or Google Drive. So I think I'm starting to revise my opinion from this is a fad to I have only seen the very outside of it and I really can't make a full full or honest opinion at this time. And, and I think your, your opinions are, are super valid and I, I don't want to rush past uh, the critiquing of how NFTs and Web3 look from the outside because when you talk about 95% of these projects, the ones that are putting up ads in Times Square, the ones that are filling up your Instagram feed and your Instagram DMs and your Discord DMs. These are the same copy and paste project with an Anon team that might pump and dump on the project and they might talk about some cool roadmap, but is it really any different from going to happy hour with your friends and saying, dude, we're going to revolutionize this space. Let's write out this roadmap and let's go get some venture funding. And then you get millions of dollars for a product that you've never built. And then a year later, you don't hear about it anymore. I, I really feel like Web3 has allowed those kind of conversations to explode in a way that has hurt a lot of uh, the middle class, people who uh, see some of this and they, they buy in probably more money than they could. Um, so yeah, like, I, I don't want to rush through this, but I, I do want to hear kind of like what, what are some examples of like projects that you've seen? Is it, is it kind of the stuff that I've, I've talked about, but I'd love to hear your critiques on what you've been seeing from the space being a little bit on the outside, because I, I can definitely put myself in an echo chamber of like seeing how cool it is being on the inside, but I, I want to appreciate and, and give you a chance to like talk about the critiques that you have of the space right now, before we go deeper into like examining it from an engineering perspective and what's possible. So do you have anything else to add in terms of like critiques that you've been seeing of the space, whether in crypto, NFTs, Web3, DAOs, like what, what critiques do you got? Hit, hit us with your best punch. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to kind of frame my question or my answer thinking about NFTs like CryptoPunks or like CryptoKitties or things, things on, on that level where it's purely like a trading card would, would be kind of how I describe those. Um, and my critique isn't necessarily that they're harmful or that they're in any way useless, but I think it is what it is. It's a trading card and it isn't something that is benefiting or revolutionizing how we live our lives. It's another investment option for people. So I personally think that blockchain has a whole lot more like real life applicable uses that could actually revolutionize how things are done in the world. Um, don't ask me what, because I, I haven't come to that conclusion yet. But I think things like what you're doing, where you're decentralizing the the, I, I want to say music industry. I'm not, I'm not uh, very familiar with it at all, but from what I do know, it sounds like artists are constantly getting shafted. And if you could decentralize that and make the artist have a more, more of a say, more power in their discussions and their, in their work, I would say, so they get compensated appropriately. That to me is something that changes how we live our lives. 
and is a is a valuable use of this type of technology. Yeah, that that is the biggest, in my opinion, the biggest benefit of blockchain is true digital ownership, giving a class of creators, people like musicians that have always just had to deal with the techies and just be like, well, these are the technologists. So if, if they're going to give me access to a global market and they're going to take 95% of the cut, I mean, I guess it is what it is. I got to deal with the circumstances, but what, for me, the big paradigm shift with blockchain, the, the core most simple value add that everything else gets built on is digital ownership. When a musician uploads their song, they're not giving the rights to Spotify. They're not giving the rights to YouTube. They're not giving the rights to iTunes. They're getting ownership in the form of an ERC 721 token an ERC 20 token. And is, and it's cryptographically theirs. As long as they know how to control that private key, um, Nobody can take that away from them. No government, no centralized platform. Nobody can take that away from them. And that has never been true until blockchains, in my opinion. Um, I want to go from the critiques now into what, what's been attracting you into Web3. Um, we talked a little bit last time of like public versus private blockchains and what chains. And I'd, I'd, I want to pick as much as you feel comfortable talking about. But you, you, you mentioned a little bit there was, it was inherently valuable. It feels valuable giving people ownership. I'm curious if you can kind of like summarize one or a few things, what's been attracting you to web three or blockchains? Like when you and Pablo were talking, why did blockchains even enter the conversation? So I think that largely what, what very much so interests me about blockchains is having the like the public data that's verifiable um and again i think that my my insight or my perspective is from an outsider's perspective but something that i i've always thought would be interesting would be to be able to put healthcare data on the blockchain um in such a way that isn't like i know there's we, we can't have data security issues with there but assuming all those are are figured out I would really like it because I've moved a couple times in my life and I, I know you have as well. When we go to the doctor for the first time in a new place and they ask you to fill out like the 15 page form of your health record or your health history, that to me seems like a pretty ridiculous thing to have to do nowadays. Like it's in some database somewhere. And the only issue that we're facing is that they can't access it. So to me, having a heavily encrypted public version of this where you can give a doctor a a key to access your health record and having them be able to get something that's both accurate verifiable and goes back you know as far as need be that to me is something that just seems so obviously valuable that there has to be something that i'm not thinking about that also does provide that type of value And did, did you check out at all the, the link I sent you about the pet healthcare data company? Not yet. I haven't read into it yet, but you did send it to me. So it looks like they're, they're doing it. The, the only reason it came across my radar is I was, uh, I was just scrolling on Coinbase one day and I see a, a new token that was labeled like 
pet protocol. And I was like, a pet protocol? What the heck is this? And I clicked into it. And I was like, oh, they're collecting pet healthcare data and it's IoT. One, I've been doing IoT stuff with Carter and Pablo back at Uptake. And two, they were just talking to me about on-chain healthcare data. I got to send this their way because it's a little bit more abstract. It's not like human healthcare data. It's a little bit more silly because it's pet healthcare data. But it was also cool in their business model. And it was like, okay, well, how do you profit in a world where the data is public on chain? Ah, well, we could sell the IoT devices and we could sell the hardware that allows people to upload that data. And that was, that was like a cool uh, business model that I, I thought you guys might, might be interested in seeing. Um, so yeah. so what, since, since the last time we've talked, have there been anything that you've looked into? You've, you've messaged me a bit about some questions I sent you a couple resources about learning some solidity coding. Have you have you done any more investigating or have you have you learned any blockchain coding? I'm I'm curious to start working towards like questioning the on-chain experiments that you've done. Um yeah, let let's start there. So admittedly, I've done um very little actual blockchain coding. Um what I decided to do was try to make an nft that stored all of its data on the chain so none of this here's a trait or a dna that defines some sort of predefined image that gets applied to your to your whatever your cat your zombie so i being more comfortable with python i've been writing python code as if it was on the blockchain and uh, trying to generate some interesting images and then moving that over to actual blockchain um, code and seeing how it works. But admittedly, Elden Ring did come out, so I've been, I've been a little preoccupied. Is, is that a video game? <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay. okay, so we haven't actually, we haven't published anything on a chain yet, but ideas are starting to formulate? Yes. I'm right there with you about putting 100% of the data on chain. Um, yeah, that putting it all on chain is the biggest way to prevent any sort of centralized failure point. Like going back to what you said before, like no matter how decentralized we get, a lot of these tech stacks that of companies that are currently building have something that is stored on AWS or Google Cloud. And if something's stored there, then that's a centralized failure point where if Google or Amazon decided to shut down S3 and you've stored all your images on there, then you're screwed. But there's companies like Arpeggi yes. Labs, that's a music creation studio uh, where 100% of it is on chain or art blocks, which is uh, generative artists that are putting 100% of their art on chain. And it's really cool to see those people and to hear engineers like you are naturally gravitating towards like this question of how can we store 100% of it on chain? Uh, it gives me a lot of motivation to know that like that's the natural gravitating point and interest point for you to to kind of be going towards. Um, I would like to talk more about that because in my perception, at least what I was, my, my plan is that you can store relatively small amounts of data on the blockchain. I'm not sure for these other companies, are they storing like full sized images there or are they storing some sort of representation of it on the chain? It's a great, I guess great more question. generally, how much data can you put into a, into the blockchain reasonably? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
It's a really great question. 95% of projects, when they're minting an NFT, they're putting in a content URI that is a link to some other storage. And that can be as centralized as AWS and Google Cloud, or it could be as decentralized as something like IPFS, the interplanetary file storage, which is a decentralized file store. Um, but the companies like Arpeggi Labs and Artblocks are doing really cool things. Um, Arpeggi Labs, I know what they're doing is uh, they're breaking down sound to the smallest unit. And then you can put that super small unit of a sound on chain. And then you can combine two small sounds into making a note. And then you can chain a series of notes, which again, the, the, the base level can be stored on chain. And then each additional layer of complexity, you can just reference a previously simple piece of data on chain. And so you ultimately don't need to necessarily recreate um, all of those data stores, but you can reference uh, you can reference these simple building blocks and build more and more complex things and take taking it into code, like building libraries or like even the programming languages that you, we use. Like originally, it all kind of goes down to what would it be like assembly language or web assembly? And it's like moving bits in a computer. But, and that was long time ago. Like I, I'm sure neither you nor I are working in binary very often or are actually manipulating bits because eventually someone decided to write a library that obfuscates all that into some very simple methods that we can use that still move bits, but we don't have to manually move those bits. We can leverage a library that has an easy interface for us to use and as time goes on, we keep getting abstracted further and further away from the, the the core technology, but we're able to build more and more powerful and complex things by by leveraging these building blocks. And so I think we're in a point right now where people like you, like super smart engineers, are asking the question of how can we put this on chain? And you could try to just like brute force put it all on there in a complex way, and I, I'm not sure that that is going to work. But these companies like Arpeggi Labs and Artblocks that are building these very simple building blocks that can then be referenced, imported, remixed, and built into more complex things. Uh, I think that is how we're going to allow more and more content to be put on chain because all of us can leverage Arpeggi Labs smart contract. You could go onto a block scanner, you can see exactly what's going on, and you could import and use that code into whatever it is that you're building. So if you want to put, it depends on what kind of content you want to put on chain. Um, so depending on the content you want to put on chain, there might already be a library or an example smart contract out there where you could just import that contract and put 100% of it on chain, but more complex things. And I don't know what more complex could mean. You're asking very good questions right now. Um, but those more complex things, we might still be very early. And it, it's saying we're very early gets me excited because it me, early means that there's a lot of opportunity. For some people, they might see challenges and they might roll their eyes and be like, oh, nobody, this isn't going to be able to onboard the rest of the world. It's too complex. But other people say, ah, this is an opportunity for me to do something that nobody else has done before. And then we can build something that uh, everyone else is not imaginative enough to think of the solution for and put the time into. Yeah. There's, there's a, it's a really interesting statement because it kind of brings up at least something that this conversation has kind of sparked in my mind. And it's that right now data is kind of your competitive advantage in a lot of cases. Whereas 
in a web three world, it's your product. That's the, like the competitive advantage. If you're able to use that data on the chain better than your competitors, people are going to use your platform, which from a consumer perspective, sounds like a lot better of an experience. I know a lot of times we're forced to use products that we don't necessarily really want to use online, but there's no other options because that data competitive advantage is just too high. And this brings in a, a question that I think it was the first question you might've asked in our last combo. And I don't think many people ask, but this question of public versus private blockchains. Um, I think the majority of the people that come into this space see the chains that exist like Solana, Ethereum, Bitcoin. And they're like, well, these, these are the chains I have to use because they exist, but you, you're an engineer in you you, you think in much different ways than 95% of people. Um, when you think of blockchains and when you're thinking of building products, do you have any, and, and for me, like I'm, I'm very much sold on Ethereum. And so when I'm building, I'm building on top of a public Ethereum blockchain. Um, but I am very curious of how this actually plays out. Like, yeah, right now, Ethereum is super popular, but this might just be a flash in the pan. And someday it might just be private blockchains that, that's, that succeed. So I'm, I'm curious if you've thought any more or if you want to kind of expand on this thought of like, what is the more valuable chain to you or what are the benefits of having public versus private blockchains? If, if you care to elaborate on that, it, it is something that you brought up that I am very curious to uh, burrow deeper down into. Yeah, I mean, I think that having, I guess from, from a technical perspective, Blockchains are not that complicated. They're really, they're really not that difficult of something to implement. It's not trivial, but it's not impossible. So I think this question came up in our first conversation because having been on the outside and not really looking into this for a, for a long while, my initial thought was, okay, I'll just build a blockchain. I'll just build it for what I need to do. And um, that was one of the first things that you said was like, why are you building it? And I was like, well, don't I have to kind of thing? And that, that spun into this entire discussion of all these amazing tools that are already out there. But I think in terms of just private and public, without having more time to think about it, I think it's just a, an instance of wanting to keep certain data private would be my, my initial thought on that, is that if you had healthcare records, let's just keep on going back to this example, it might be better if that is a semi-private chain and to buy into it, a hospital or a doctor would have to verify that they are in fact able to access this data and then get some sort of specialized hardware or something on the order of that to actually access it. Because I know in terms of like uh, potentially bad data to get out there, it would be health records. So I could see that being valuable there is if you wanted that extra layer of security. Um, but as you've said, and as I think we both agree, I don't think having only private chains is worth, it, it defeats the purpose of at least what I'm seeing right now. 
I could take uh, this conversation deeper, but I don't. I don't want to go too far off of what you've already played around with to make. Uh, yeah, I'm excited for you to go deeper for us to have another conversation to go deeper on this. But but for now, I I want to uh, ask kind of some shorter questions and just get some quick responses from what your thoughts are so far. Um, for, first question being, out of the chains that exist, what what chains are attractive to you right now? Whether like as a as an engineer or just in general. Are there any chains that kind of bubble up to the top of what you feel is important and what what might be around five, 10 years from now? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I could give you names, but really it comes down to being able to um, validate fast and also being able to validate cheap. And then if that if that's selected, that's something that you can do. Um, being able to reference and access past data on the chain quickly is something that I'm still confused about when it comes to blockchains. I don't understand why I could access a very old block quickly and get that smart contract out of it. But I think that that's important for smart contracts to run effectively because you need to access previous data and previous smart contracts effectively. Next question, apps. Are there any apps that you've used or any apps, decentralized apps, most people call them dApps. Are there any dApps that you've used so far or are there any dApps that have been attractive to you? So other than crypto zombies, sorry, do you want to? No, 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 that, that? that was it. You're going down the right way. Okay. Yeah. Other than crypto zombies, not, not yet, but if you want to send me over a couple of your favorites, I'd like the, uh, the little kickstart on looking at them. And then I think the, the last question I have is, is kind of, so <clears throat> as I said, before we started the show, there's a wide range of people that listen to the show. About 75% of the demographic comes from Silicon Valley, California, specifically the, the Mountain View area. So the headquarters of like Google. Um, for people that are based kind of globally, I've, mm -hmm. less than 10% of the population is based outside of the US. But I have a lot of people that will message me on Twitter that are just getting started learning how to code. And they, a lot of people don't know where to start. And you coming from kind of a non-traditional, non you, you said a unique engineering background. Is there any advice you would give to people that want to learn how to code um, of where they should go to start or any tools that they can use to help them take control of their coding education? Yeah, I think that's something that I try to say a lot because I don't hear it enough. Um, someone that's been coding for 10 plus years of my life, um, the majority of that in Python, um, which I do every day. I code every day in Python at work for you know eight plus hours i am still on google all day looking up how do i do this how do i do that um and i think that a lot of times people that are new to coding think that experienced programmers are like they just sit down and bang out a perfect solution like without looking at any resources or anything we just are some magical like code writing machine and i always want to break that 
assumption and that stereotype where if you want to get into it, find something that's interesting to you or look up a specific type of project online. And I would just say, sit down and, and try it and Google everything that's confusing to you. It's amazing what you can find online. And I think that's going to be what you're doing for the rest of your coding career. So getting that skill up, that Google foo skill is uh, something that's equally as important as actually knowing the language. One plus one that Google foo is one of the strongest martial arts you could be learning. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's, that's all the questions I've got. So I'll briefly turn it over just to make sure I'm not cutting it off too early is anything else you want to touch on or talk about before we wrap up? No, I think that this has been pretty, pretty much everything that I've had to ask. I do think that I, I need to do a little bit of homework on my side and try out some more experiments before I can talk more in depth about it, but I am looking forward to, to spending more time in this space. It's definitely got my attention and I'm, uh, going to going to continue looking into it. Thank you for joining me today, Carter. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Carter. My biggest takeaway is the thought of public data versus private data. We've seen a lot of platforms like Google and Amazon and even artificial intelligence companies like OpenAI monetize by owning and hiding data. This is very different to a lot of Web3 companies that are monetizing by aggregating open data and aggregating open tools in a helpful way for creators and collectors. I like to think of it like the current monetization model of Web2 is making a private pond and building services around that private pond, whereas the Web3 model is trying to map the open ocean. If you want to reach out to Carter, I will include a link to his LinkedIn profile in the show notes as well as a couple other resources I think are helpful if you want to get started coding for Web3 and blockchains. Thanks for tuning in. This is Sweetman Dottie, signing off.